Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. This week, my guest is Dr. Kat Kaini. She's a therapist in Claremont, California, where she specializes in maternal mental health. She's also the host of the podcast Mom and Mind, where she explores issues of maternal mental health like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, perimental mood disorders. So I hope you'll check out her podcast, but I also hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Kat. This week's episode is sponsored by Progression Counseling, providing Maryland residents with individual, group, and online counseling for the overstressed, overwhelmed, and overanxious. Find out more at progressioncounseling.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Kat Kaini, and I guess you go by Dr. Kat because I've seen that on your website. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's just much easier for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, and so tell us a little bit about you and why you chose to specialize in maternal mental health. Yeah. Um, so I am a psychologist and specialist in um, maternal mental health or perinatal mental health. Um, and I do within my role, I have, you know, kind of several parts of my work. I see people individually for therapy. Um, I run a group out of the local hospital for pregnant and postpartum moms. And mm. um, I do training with the county here uh, in Southern California to get um, other healthcare providers on board, get them some fundamentals in maternal mental health. And um, I work closely with an organization called Postpartum Support International. And um, I'm recently on the board with them and also do training with them as well. So a lot of my work is, you know, just getting information out and getting yeah. people trained and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and I also have a podcast called Mom and Mind. And that focus is primarily on perinatal mental health, but really on all of the aspects of the transition into motherhood and parenthood um, related to pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Yeah. And um, we get into lots and lots of different nooks and crannies there and um, still looking to fill more uh, through those weekly episodes. Um, so that, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, um, sounds very busy. <laughs> it, it is a little too busy. I have to take some stuff off my plate. Um, yeah. uh, right, because I still do have a family and a yeah. life and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my road to getting here, um, in terms of my specialty, um, I, I was a therapist in the field already and uh, got pregnant with my first, was planned pregnancy. Everything went pretty well. Um, but the postpartum period went um, unexpectedly. Um, pretty difficult. It was pretty hard. And I developed a postpartum OCD, postpartum anxiety, mm. and postpartum depression. Um, and I didn't really know about any of those things as it was happening to me. Um, I'd heard about postpartum depression, but it was really 
not in any of my training or residency or schooling, anything. Um, yeah. And so I didn't know what to look for. Uh, and I didn't know what was happening. My my perspective at that time was like, okay, I guess motherhood is this hard. Mm. And um, I was also, as a therapist, feeling like, oh, I should be able to deal with this. And I should know what to do. And well, oh, I didn't know wow. what to do. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because when you're know. in it, you can't be the therapist, too. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Oh, so that yeah. um, my that experience lasted for a while until I fully understood what was happening. And um Got therapy, um, went to traditional psychotherapy, and then did some unconventional kind of healing methods like energy work and um, naturopathic doctors and stuff like that. And eventually made my way through and um, started specializing um, because I realized at that point, wow, if if I didn't know what was happening and I'm supposed to be, you know, mental health um, specialist, then uh, how is anyone else figuring this out? Yeah. So, so I set on my path and here I am. That's awesome. And I find, I think the most passionate therapists are the ones that have experienced whatever they're specializing in, just right? because yeah. we, we have such a, a uh, you know, innate understanding of the struggle. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have this drive and passion that just so far hasn't died. So I'm going to keep riding this wave. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, not awesome that you had to struggle, but awesome (laughs) that you're passionate about it. Well, and what's interesting to me, you know, I have born three children and um, did struggle with some postpartum depression myself, really didn't recognize that's what it was until um, probably the third child and managed to sort of work myself through it, I guess, without therapy until round three. And then... um, but really, it wasn't something that was talked about by, you know, the obstetricians or, mm-hmm. you know, and not my friends, that's for sure. Like, right. nobody was talking about that. Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're 100% right. Nobody does talk about it. Yeah. Um, they. I, I think at the time um, I had my daughter uh, eight some odd years ago, Um. They were giving out the um, these little PHQ-9 forms, which are depression questionnaires. Um, and unfortunately, I worked in the same hospital that was giving me the, the form. So I had given it out multiple times and I knew what they were asking me. Mm-hmm. And I, looking back now, I knew something wasn't right because I specifically didn't answer honestly mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. that questionnaire because I, I, I didn't want to know um, yeah. how bad I was doing. Yeah. Well, and I didn't want them to know. Right, right. Well, and it's hard. I, I mean, just knowing how hard it was for me to admit how much I was struggling when, you know, a lot of, I think, going into motherhood, at least for me, and I think also for some of my clients, it's like, I should have this all figured out. And I should just yeah. be a good, happy, joyful mom when the baby comes, or right. even when I'm pregnant. And yeah, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but that, that's exactly how we're, we're um, led to believe that that's what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. And when it doesn't, we feel like there's something wrong with us, not that there's something wrong with the story that we've been led to believe. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what contributes to the depression and the anxiety, too. Mm-hmm. And so how might someone know you know, if they have either, you know, they're pregnant, or they've just had a baby, and 
maybe there is some postpartum either anxiety or depression, how what would be a clue for them that, yep, this is something I should get help for? Yeah. Um, so there, there's a period of time after, um, well, let me just say, it can happen at any time during pregnancy or postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, depression and anxiety often happen during um, pregnancy. Uh, so if you're experiencing symptoms during that time, it's really good to to go get help um, as you know soon. So really, it's similar to any other type of diagnosis where symptoms need to be around for two weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the same kind of general symptoms of depression, feeling down, feeling low, difficulty with your um, appetite or your sleep, which can be hard to differentiate in pregnancy or postpartum because most people are having some changes in their sleeping and eating. Yeah. Um, and also feeling sort of, you know, foggy headed. Um, but if it's getting to a point where you're like, gosh, I just don't feel like myself um, or you're having difficulty functioning, like doing day to day stuff. Um, if you're sort of dragging around, your energy is so, so low. Um really for two weeks or more that's kind of what we're looking at if if your symptoms are happening for an extended period of time or they're very intense mm-hmm. um you know kind of get, getting looking more into it at that point is is helpful so um in the postpartum period what depression can look like too is really negative self-talk like i'm a bad mom i don't know what i'm doing this baby would be better off without me mm-hmm. um I'm failing. Uh, If it's anxiety, it might might look a lot like not being able to sleep when the baby is sleeping, given the opportunity to sleep. Um, And and I'm not talking about during the day. I'm like at night when it's normal sleep time, Mm -hmm. when you literally are up staring at your child, hoping that they're not going to stop breathing. That's high anxiety. Yeah. Uh, Or, you know, just constantly checking on them. If you feel worried all the time. Um, if it's difficult to manage that high worry, um, if you feel like you're on high alert all of the time, those are all signs that you may be having um, anxiety or depression. And certainly if you feel irritable, if you feel really angry, sometimes moms feel a rage sort of a feeling. Yeah. Uh, those are all, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had that one too. Not pleasant, but. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah. So that really intense kind of, you feel like you could, you know, punch a hole through the wall um, or scream, that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah. Those are all things to, to look more into. And I would imagine that, um, you know, it's hard. Yes, you might recognize, okay, things aren't great. But, you know, uh, being able to say, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, maybe I'm not feeling as close to my baby that I as as I thought I would, like, to voice those concerns would be hard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very hard. Um you know, finding somebody that you can talk to about that is really important. Um, and if it, if that person doesn't exist in your family or your friend circle, or reaching out to a therapist um, is can really be beneficial. Uh, someone who specializes in maternal mental health is even better. Um, it it is hard. Nobody's, uh, you know, for myself, I can say I wasn't talking about it. Nobody knew. 
I yeah. put on such a great face uh, mm-hmm. to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but inside I was struggling quite a bit until I couldn't hide it anymore. Um, yeah. And at Boobright, because along with this, speaking to your point earlier that, um, you know, you're supposed to love everything about this. Um, when you don't, it feels shameful or embarrassing, or it can anyways. Yeah. And people typically don't want to talk about things that they feel ashamed about. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So, and what might, oh, and in your practice, do you see um, that there might be some contributing factors for people who struggle or who experience, um, you know, either peri or postpartum depression and anxiety? Yeah, there are quite a few risk factors um, that really, I, I think, you know, whoever's listening, if you can, if you're concerned for yourself about developing any of these, these are the things to consider mm-hmm. um, and really look into is if you or your family members have any history of depression, anxiety, or any kind of mental health challenges, um, you're at higher risk during the perinatal period, pregnancy or postpartum. Um, certainly, if you have a history of postpartum um, a pregnancy or postpartum anxiety or depression yourself, you're more likely to get it again. Yeah. Um, if it was untreated, um, I should say, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that, but you are more likely to, to get it again. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any history of a difficulty around, um, hormonal changes related to PMS, um, PMDD, uh, anything like that where your own, uh, even birth control, if you have a sensitivity to birth control. So this would be the, the biological hormonal part. Yeah. Um, if, if you know already that when your period comes or two weeks before you just start to feel different uh, or have a hard time emotionally, then you are also more likely to have difficulty in this change. Um, I should say that, you know, some people, even with a difficulty with um, uh, PMS or PMDD, some people feel relief from with during pregnancy. Like pregnancy is the best they've ever felt. Um, yeah. And then the postpartum comes and everything kind of goes haywire. Yeah, that, um, was, that was me. I loved yeah. the pregnancy part. I felt great. And then baby came and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, same. That was, that was me too. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. I mean, it's amazing to get a relief. Um, during the the pregnancy from the um, the hormonal emotional part, but there can be quite a drop yeah. um, drop afterwards. Um, and then you're also in the postpartum period, the times where you're even if let's say for the first um, I don't know several months you're fine um, and you start to wean from breastfeeding or you restart your period, you can have an onset of symptoms at that point as well or worsening again yeah. because of the hormonal changes. Yeah. And and really, symptoms can show up anytime within the first year. Oh, that's interesting. So even a year into, you know, a newborn's life mm-hmm. that you could still develop postpartum issues. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's not how it's categorized in the DSM. Okay. Um, there's a little bit of a, not a fight about that, but, you know. <laughs> a little disagreement. Get, <laughs> a little disagreement. Uh, trying to get the DSM people to include that it can can come on. Um, but anyhow, within the field, we know that those symptoms can show up, yeah, anytime in the first year. Yeah. And if gone untreated, can they can peak in its intensity at around four years. Wow, that is very interesting and makes sense, I guess, because yeah. it's going untreated and, mm-hmm. you know, not getting help for it. Yeah, yeah. We want to 
try and make sure people are getting help because the the effects of severe and untreated um, really anything, but specifically pregnancy or postpartum mental health challenges uh, create a huge amount of stress for the mom. Um, but also, again, if the symptoms are severe and ongoing, it creates it can potentially create difficulties for the child as well. So we're looking into really getting people into treatment as soon as possible, getting symptoms resolved as soon as possible, because it's better for the baby too. Yeah, I would imagine that the sooner the better, but also the longer it goes on, the harder it can be on both, both the parent mm-hmm. and the child. Well, and probably on any relationship you might be in too. Yeah. With, you know, with your partner. Yeah, they, um, in, there's some interesting um, statistics. I think this is a Gottman statistic maybe, but um, that the marital dissatisfaction goes down for about 67% of couples in the first year postpartum, and that is without any type of complication. So wow. if you add in depression, anxiety, whatever, for either the mom or the partner, then it, you know, obviously could get a lot worse. And the, the highest rate of divorce is in the first year. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's that's pretty, you know, it, it's so such a different picture than, you know, the story we're right. told, right? That like yes. this baby, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that, you know, well, the baby's going to fix things, you know, the baby's uh-huh. going to make it better. No. Yeah. No. Short answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've had a lot of um, uh, situations like that with clients, too, like who's, let's say the mom is um, pregnant and the partner has a a drinking problem and the mom is hoping that the partner is going to see that they need to stop drinking because now the baby's here and this is important and serious and that doesn't happen. Partner keeps drinking, partner drinks more. You know, that's one example, but that happens plenty, plenty often. I would bet. And so in your practice, you know, do you particularly see the individuals? Do you see, you know, the women specifically? Or are you working with couples as well around these struggles? Um, It's typically the woman is coming in. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, If I can, if the partner will come in, I'll have the partner come in. It's really hard, unfortunately, to get the partners to come in sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes they'll come once and I, like I had um, one situation where there was many complicating factors in the relationship, but I kept asking the woman, can you please have your partner come in? I think it might be helpful. Maybe if he heard from me what this is like and what the concerns are and we can talk about it together and all this. He came in and said nothing, uh, just really like he did not want to be there. He, he listened, but it, it just was very clear that it was uncomfortable for him and he didn't really want to change or help. And that was one example. There are other examples of of partners who do come in and they're like, what can I do? I don't know what this is. This is very confusing to me. And so I'll, I'll do a little supportive kind of coaching, so to speak around like, you know, what to, to do and, and what this is. Yeah. But most typically it's, it's just the mom. You know, I think for me, I had this greater understanding or I, you know, up until relatively recently when I went to a training, I had a greater understanding of postpartum depression. You're sad, you're not motivated, you don't want to shower, you're, you know, whatever, you know, depressive symptoms, you know, you can think of. But I really hadn't considered 
how the postpartum anxiety might impact a new mom who's probably anxious anyway without having mm-hmm. postpartum anxiety. So right. could, can you share a little bit about what, how that is different from the depressive piece? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't know about anxiety, postpartum anxiety, and there are a couple of other things that can develop postpartum during pregnancy as well. But um, the anxiety can take on a couple of different forms. Um, like commonly what I see is, um, moms who have difficulty settling. So even when given a chance to rest, they cannot, or given a chance to sleep, they can't. It's like their brain is constantly going. There's a lot of worry and uh, oftentimes it's worry about the baby. So this is not, uh, and as you said, to your point, there there is a certain amount of vigilance that happens. That's normal. Um, you wanting to check on your baby, making sure they're okay. But this is the kind of checking that where reassurance doesn't help you. It, you know, you go in, check on the baby. They're cool. They're sleeping and, and comfortable. And then you can go back to sleep. This is, uh, as an example, um, I have a couple of moms in my practice who won't sleep because they feel like they have to stay awake the whole time that their baby is sleeping just to make sure just in case Um, they either stop breathing or something whatever they turn over or something like that so there's really um, and this is kind of the higher higher level of anxiety where it's unrelenting you just can't not worry Mm. And so this might also, it doesn't look a particular way. Sometimes moms come in and they're dressed to the nines, makeup's done, you know, they look look fine. Um, but when you start to talk to them, it's clear that they're um, worried all the time. They're, they're physically agitated. They're, they may be, un- uh, you know, uncomfortably agitated. They're losing sleep really kind of going all of the time. They may be doing a lot of cleaning or just up doing Busying. Stuff a lot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they may look very productive, but they're exhausted. Yeah. Uh, they're so, so tired. Um, mm-hmm. And so occasionally this will turn into um, panic attacks. And um, most commonly, these are the moms who end up in like going to the emergency room because they feel like they're having a heart attack. Yeah, because that's what panic feels like. But they uh, could be developing uh, panic attacks, really, really, really high anxiety where that heart rate changes, the breathing changes, they may feel dizzy, they may feel like they're, you know, going to die, which is a common symptom of a panic attack. Yeah. Um, so they're headed to headed to the emergency room. And then, of course, uh, with most panic, then you become anxious about the panic. Um, and worry that it's going to happen again. So I have moms who um, are have had one panic attack, but now won't drive with their child because mm-hmm. they're worried they're going to have a panic attack in the car. Yeah, um, that kind of that's how it ends up manifesting. Is it is impacting them to their ability to function in their day? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple of other aspects to anxiety that one when really high um, sometimes can develop into OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this would be obsessive thoughts, worry about contamination, mm-hmm. uh, doubting, uh, worry about harming their child. Like, um, what if I drop the baby? Sometimes it's worry about accidental harm. Sometimes it's, it's like having intrusive thoughts about intentional harm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this gets really, really upsetting. So typically when that kind of anxiety is, um, really high, the uh, the feelings 
well, should I say the thoughts of what if I drop my baby might prevent her from then even holding her baby or going down the stairs or going through narrow doorways. I don't want to hit their head. So they start avoiding things that they're anxious about. Some examples of like a worry about contamination. I have, um, you know, a mom might carry around Lysol wipes. And if they're going to go out to a restaurant, she's wiping everything down that she or her baby could possibly touch. Mm-hmm. This is in like a public setting, which is not something you typically would see. Right. Um, but the anxiety is so high and make sure everything's clean. Uh, and then unfortunately, there's also another really distressing and disturbing type of intrusive thought, which is sexual based. Mm-hmm. So this can take the form of either worrying about that somebody's going to sexually abuse your child or that you yourself will. Okay. Uh, and this is really distressing. And I unfortunately, I had this symptom. Mm. You don't have to have a history of sexual um, abuse to yeah. have this intrusive thought. But suffice to say that when it pops in, it's just incredibly distressing. Oh, I would uh, imagine. And and really, nobody's talking about this. You're not going to go to your doctor and say like, oh, my gosh, you know, I have this thought of that I'm going to drop my baby or that someone's going to hurt my baby or that I'm going to sexually abuse my child. Yeah. Uh, you're not really telling anybody about it. No, um, no. Well, because the fear is then you're going to get locked up and put away and they're going to tell you you're just as crazy as you think you are. I know, right? Yes. And that that is absolutely what the fear is. And it's, well, the fear is like, I feel like I'm losing my mind. Right. Um, But what is really important to know about that, um, those intrusive thoughts, and and people can have intrusive thoughts without having OCD. Mm -hmm. Most people have some sort of intrusive thoughts from time to time. But we're, if we're not stressed out, we're able to kind of just brush it off like, oh, that was weird. Why would I think that? But when you're um, in this postpartum period, and the thought is specifically related to your child, it brings up this whole other dimension of anxiety. So I typically hear like, why would or the inner dialogue anyways, is why would I think that? What's wrong with me? I would never do that to my child. Only a crazy person would think that. And that kind of is a tip off to me that this is yeah. anxiety based. And right. actually, this actually, isn't delusions. This is just anxiety yeah. talking. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and usually she's also doing her best job to make sure the child is safe. Right. So like if right. she has intrusive thoughts about knives or scissors, she's hiding the knives or scissors or somebody is. Or, you know, like I said, she's avoiding doing certain things so that that couldn't happen. Couldn't right. happen. Yeah. yeah, they're incredibly protective of their children. I'm, I'm never worried about the child or the mom doing those things ever. Yeah. Um, only when it becomes like a, if it not becomes only if it's a psychotic process, am I then worried yeah. um, about something happening? Yeah, well, and um, I, I would imagine being able to share those worries and fears and thoughts in, in therapy and someone telling you, you know what? This is anxiety. Like this is yeah. this is that. I would imagine that's got to be just overwhelmingly helpful. Oh yeah, it it is. Oh my gosh, that's it's one of my favorite things to see is the relief yeah. because it's it's you can see it on their face, you can see it in their body, you can they'll look at me like really this is a thing. It's not just me, and it's almost like a fifty pound weight has just been lifted off of them because yeah. then they don't have to walk around thinking oh my gosh, I'm crazy, or there's something wrong with me, they can now think, oh, I have anxiety. I can heal from this. Mm. It's not going to be with me forever. Right. This is my anxiety talking. This isn't me. Yeah. Yes. That's so important. Well, I 
I just want to reiterate that it, like it's such an important conversation that I know I, I hope is being had more frequently in obstetricians' offices, but I'm so grateful for therapists like you that are putting the word out there that this is through your podcast, through your trainings, that this is this is normal. You know, is it okay? Yeah. No. Can you get help? Yes. But that right. this this happens. Absolutely. Um up to a lot of people. Yeah. Around twenty, twenty one percent of of women will experience something like this which is huge which is, it's pretty hot yeah i mean in comparison gestational diabetes is um like the actual incidence of that is anywhere between like six to eight percent wow. of people everybody takes that stupid glucose thing <laughs> <laughs> you have to drink all that nasty stuff oh. just to make sure yeah um so there's there's all that you know protection in place to make sure that you know mom is safe and baby safe but we're really doing a bad job of screening for depression and anxiety which is way more common way more common. So yeah. how so how does therapy help? Uh, well, the initial sessions are a lot around stabilization. So typically when, when people are coming in, we're not necessarily starting therapy therapy right away. I'm looking at, um, I'm doing a full assessment to try and understand their pregnancy and our loss history. Um, if there's any trauma, um, what their sleep is like, what their eating is like, what their support system is like. Uh, and kind of the context of their current life so that I can and we can start shoring things up a little bit. So um, oftentimes the initial session or two is just figuring out how to get more sleep, how yeah. to negotiate with partners or family members um, on how to do that. Yeah. Um, and or really, unfortunately, just like making sure they are eating. Um, a lot of moms feel... Um, so frazzled or so busy that they forget to eat. So we're doing some kind of fundamental stuff, just making sure they have food on board, that they have liquids uh, like water. Yeah. Um, because the the day just sort of gets away from people, and by three o'clock they haven't eaten anything, and of course they feel bad. Yeah. Um. So really, getting some fundamental things in place is is really the initial one two sessions, mm -hmm. first two couple of sessions. If possible, figuring out who we can pull in for social support. That could be friends. That could be a group. That could be family. Because um, we know that social support is incredibly helpful during this period of time because people feel very alone. We, yeah. we don't have our villages. <laughs> they're, you know, they're yeah. off at work or whatever. So yeah. pulling in who we can, when we can, and, and getting some sort of a community together if possible or finding a group. Mm-hmm. A lot of the therapy stuff is related to managing, uh, similar to the anxious thoughts that we were describing before, kind of recognizing and managing the anxious thoughts and offering some perspective. I, In my own practice, I use a lot of compassion for healing yeah. um, and teaching self-compassion and kind of helping people. One of my very favorite interventions is to to get uh, someone to talk about the things that they say to themselves, you know, like, I'm a bad mom, I can't do this, I should be able to do all of these things. And we get a nice healthy list going. And then I ask them, is this something you would say to your best friend? Yeah. If they were telling you the same exact thing. And it creates just enough like, oh, uh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> Because that's mean and they would, uh, you know, not be my friend anymore if I said all these mean things to them. So just get, getting some perspective, I, a lot of psychoeducation just on what this is. 
you know, I mean, that, that can last for a little while. It really depends on the complexity of what's going on for them. Sure, um, sure. Certainly if, if there's like an ongoing OCD that, um, you know, where they're continually dealing with stuff or even if they're people who are ha- who are currently in um, relationships that are emotionally abusive have uh, just take a lot longer to heal and recover yeah. because they're constantly in stress. Yeah. Um, so there, there's so many factors that go into it, but a lot of it is building resilience and helping them see their own resilience, helping manage really negative and self-judgmental um, thoughts, getting compassion on board. Um, a, a lot of what I also see is the, the kind of difficulty with identity changes that happen in the transition. So, you know, people are taking on a brand new role. This even for second time moms, third time moms, but and beyond. Um, every time you add a person into your family, your role sort of changes. Your the way you are in the world changes because you have to do things differently. Sure. Uh, but certainly for the first child, there's quite a shift for a lot of people going from you know being able to be independent and doing whatever they want whenever they want. To, or even for some people, having the freedom of having their own income to going to not having an income. Oh, yeah. I, again, depending on the context, there's a lot of identity changes that happen that is just trying to help people understand that this is sort of a developmental phase. It's not just like, like with the line that we're given is that our babies come and then we know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. <laughs> right. That's just not true. So, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, just trying to, to kind of point, uh, poke holes in those theories that, you know, that no, you're not, you're not supposed to know everything. This is, this is um, on the job learning. Right. This is all <laughs> new stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, are there resources or um, tips that you would like to share with the audience that you feel like would be super helpful if someone is considering like, well, maybe I have after hearing this podcast, maybe I do have postpartum problems right now that I need to look into? Yeah. Um, so I think the first thing I want really everybody to know is that this, if you are experiencing this, if you know somebody who's experiencing this, it's not your fault. There's so much self-blame here um, and guilt that um, just really make everything feel so much worse. Mm -hmm. So if you can, you yourself, if you're experiencing this or someone that you love, um, help, help yourself, help them to know that this is not who they are. This is what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the universal kind of messages that we have within the field is that, you know, you, you're not alone. There's other people dealing with this. You're not to blame. No one chooses to wake up feeling like this. Um, and with help, you will be well. So we do know that this is totally treatable. And the sooner that you get help, the better off um, that you'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, if we can all just stop the kind of blame blame game uh, yeah. for ourselves and for other people, that would help quite a bit. Oh, so um, much. Yeah, yeah, you can totally get through this. It's it's it, it really really sucks to go through it, but also you can you can get to the point where you want to get and be the mom you want to be yeah. with the right kind of help. Um and to that end for I, I don't know how many um you know, moms versus therapists you have listening to the podcast. I imagine you have a lot of therapists listening to. Um 
But uh, there is a great resource, um, Postpartum Support International, um, postpartum.net is um, really it's a social support at, at its core. It's built on social support. So there are people that you can contact if you go to the website and you yourself are looking for help, there's often a local on the ground coordinator who has a list of resources of therapists or other things in your area that they can connect you with and they give you some support along the way to connect to resources. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, and then also they have developed a lot of training and uh, both online and in-person trainings for therapists, for nurses, doulas, really anybody who touches a pregnant or postpartum woman. Um, and also for prescribers, people who are, um, you know, a- anybody who prescribes, they have courses on, on how to prescribe to women during the reproductive phase. Awesome. Uh, bunch of other resources on there so i I would suggest go there um get more information get support um Mm. yeah there there are several other really great organizations out there too i can give you a a list to include if you'd like to but um that that's my first first choice the go-to awesome Mm -hmm. yep so are there any um upcoming projects for you that um in your practice or um, in your world that you would like to share? Um, yeah, just right now I'm continuing on with the podcast, Mom and Mind Podcast. And if you guys are interested in hearing more about all the nooks and crannies and things within the perinatal mental health world, uh, I've interviewed in- experts and advocates there. Um, and uh, I'm recently on the board of Postpartum Support International um, and doing some work to get trainings to to more and more places so being a trainer for them nice. um yeah yeah so i for anyone who's interested in training i would go to their website and check that out um certainly if you don't find training in your area you can take one online or um you can ask for psi to come to your, your region and they'll do a training there that's awesome mm-hmm. yeah i went to a training I guess right before I was fully licensed, uh, probably about four or five years ago, and um, it was in D.C., and it was just truly fantastic, you know? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. really so much good info. Yeah, just really opened my eyes. And, uh, well, Kat, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your uh, wisdom and knowledge and empathy and compassion around this topic and, and passion as well. Thank you. Thanks. It was nice to chat with you. Yeah, nice to chat with you, too. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Kat um, on maternal mental health issues. I felt like it was so enlightening and informative, and clearly her passion shines through for this topic and helping her clients. I think what stood out for me was her comment at the end of the episode that, you know, if you're struggling with postpartum depression or anxiety, like this one, it isn't your fault. And two, it isn't you. This is something you're experiencing. And that's really powerful and something to take to heart that this is just something that's happening and there is help available. So if you'd like to know more about Dr. Kat Kayani or her podcast, you can find it at momandmind.com. I hope you have a wonderful week. 
Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com.